You are here. There we go. Uh, we are in the midst of a teaching series this summer entitled Walk. In this series, we are looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, two chapters out of the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, where the Apostle Paul gives us this, this powerful description of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And the word that he uses over and over again in these two chapters is the word walk. It's translated uh, live in some translations, but it literally means walk. See, following Jesus is not, it, it's not simply believing some truths about Jesus. It is something we actually walk out, right? It, it, it's, it's the living out of this that impacts every area of our lives. So in chapter four, um, as Paul begins to describe what this new walk looks like, one of the areas that he focuses on is the area of, of sexuality, of, of sensuality. Ephesus was a place where there really were no sexual standards. Everyone did what was kind of what they wanted to do. And so the idea of following Jesus in our sexuality was a radical idea in that culture. And, and it still is a radical idea. I mean, what does Jesus have to say about our sexuality? For many people, they feel like the Bible offers this overly restrictive perspective of sexuality. You know, these oppressive moral rules, you know, keep your pants up and your hands off, don't do this and don't do that, you know. But when we truly understand the Bible's perspective on sexuality, we realize it's actually offering us a life-giving pathway. It is actually offering us freedom and joy. See, here, here's what we often fail to realize, but it's something the Bible clearly articulates, especially in the passage that we're looking at today. This is so important. Our sexual desires are shaping us. Our sexual desires are shaping us. Whether we like it or not, our sexual desires are actually forming us. So the key question, when we're talking about this subject, the key question is not, am I keeping some moral standard? Because that's typically the question where, oh, am I keeping you know, the rules? Am I keeping some moral standard? No, that's not the key question. <laughs> the key question is, who am I becoming? How are your sexual desires shaping you? Now, before we look into um, more detail into this passage, let me just say right up front, this message is not about guilt or shame. It is about experiencing life. My heart is for you. My heart is for you. I'm speaking to you as someone who has personally experienced the brokenness of my own sexuality. I'm speaking to you as a heartbroken pastor who every day sees the devastation this area causes in people's lives. I'm speaking as a, a husband and a dad who longs for the best for every young person here. This is not a shame on you message. This is a, hey, let's look honestly at a difficult subject and talk about how we can find life by following Jesus in it. All right, so, so what Paul does in this passage is describe for us two very different ways of approaching our sexuality. Okay, the first is what I would call the world's approach to sexual freedom. So look with me at Ephesians 4, verses 17 and 19, where this is described. So I tell you and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, 
They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now, it would be so easy, it would be so easy for us to use this passage to rail on our culture. Right? Oh, that cold, our culture is so bad. That's what's happening in that, the big bad world out there. No, but let's just, let's just cut through the crud, okay? We all know this is what's happening within the church. We all know this is what's happening in our families. This is what's happening with us, young and old. All right, so let's just, let's just acknowledge it. We, we are all vulnerable to exactly what Paul is describing. Which is why Paul begins by saying, I tell you and insist on it in the Lord. This is not a suggestion. This is a warning. And honestly, it is a warning that should frighten the heck out of us. Because he is not addressing, he's not describing as sometimes people do, you know, these external influences that our sexual choices will result in, you know, some STDs and all that stuff. He's not, he's not doing that. No, he's talking about what happens to our soul. He's talking about what happens to our soul, what happens to our inner being over time when we choose this path. Because again, our sexual desires are forming us. They're forming us. So it starts innocently enough, innocently enough in our mind. Our mind with, with what Paul calls futile thinking, believing ideas about sexuality that sound true or that we at least, we really want them to be true. Ideas like, you know, my, my sexual fantasies about my coworker, they're, they're not hurting anyone. You know, I'm not acting on them. They're not hurting anyone. Or, or, or pornography is really just a harmless activity. It's just some images on a screen or on my phone. Or, or hookups, you know, are just adult recreation. You know, swipe right for a good time. No, no commitments, just harmless fun. Or, or, you know, saying no to any sexual desire is repressive and harmful. To say no, that's repressive. Do what feels good to you. That's, that's what's important. Or, you know, the Bible's view of, of reserving sex for marriage is so archaic. I mean, what's a piece of paper? I mean, living together is a great way to find out if we're compatible, right? I mean, these ideas, they, they feel true, especially when they are accepted as true in movies and, and, and television shows and socially just accepted as true in, in, in social media, all these things. But, but all of these ideas I just mentioned, all of these ideas are the antithesis of what God says about sex. See, God created sex as a holistic, soul-uniting experience that is so powerful and so precious, it is to be reserved for the loving covenant of marriage. See, the, the truth is, God has a much higher view of sex than our society does. For our society, sex is just for recreation, right? It's just cheap sport. But for God, sex is loving union. It is loving union. As Paul will describe later in chapter 5 of this book, sexual intimacy is this powerful picture of the union that we are created to experience with God. See, but that's not the perspective that our society promotes, our culture promotes. Our, our, our culture, you know, promotes this, this, this view that sex is just fun, it's just cheap sport, it's, its purpose is just for self-fulfillment. And it's so easy for us to get sucked into that way of thinking. 
as being the cool, you know, the hip, the progressive, the, 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 the current kind of perspective. Everyone's doing it, you know. We, we become part of this massive group think. Seriously. We become part of this massive group think. And what we don't realize is that it's actually darkening our understanding, to use Paul's phrase here. We start viewing everything through this darkened lens that basically removes the light of Jesus and we don't even notice or we don't even care. Our understanding gets darkened, which, which leads to the second part of our inner world that's impacted, that's formed, and that's our heart. Our, our, you know, once our mind is darkened, notice what, where this path starts doing to our heart. Paul says, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, it's mind, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity. See, Paul says here that as we pursue the world's view of sexuality as harmless fun, something happens to our heart. Our heart becomes hardened. It becomes calloused, which is a big deal. Because our hearts are this beautiful place in us where we experience authentic connection with other people. It's this beautiful place in us where emotional intimacy happens. It's honestly, it's where we experience life. It's where we experience life. And Paul says in verse 18, they are separated from the life of God. That word life, it's the word zoe, the Greek word zoe. Um, it's not talking about biological life. No, 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 it's talking about spiritual life, the joy and the peace and the contentment and the wholeness and the holy mindfulness that Jesus brings. That's what God's perspective on sexuality offers us, life. That's what it offers us. So again, this question, where are your sexual desires taking you? Toward life and connection or away from life? I was talking with a friend of mine who told me about um, his brother um, and how a few years ago, his brother who's married, they live in a, another state, but when they would talk on the phone, he would talk to his brother on the phone, his brother would always complain about his wife. He would just gripe about his wife, how cold and how distant she was and how frustrating and angry it made him and how um, you know, he just didn't even want to engage with her at all, be around her and all that. Well, my friend had known that his brother had been, had used porn, had been using pornography since his teen years. And so my friend sent his brother this article about how pornography impacts relationships, how it actually causes us to withdraw relationally and, and to lose our motivation to love and how it causes us to be dissatisfied with our life um, and, and angry with the people around us and how it fills our hearts with distorted expectations and demands. So as his brother read this, this article, he realized his use of porn was actually the source of his relational problems in his marriage. It wasn't just a side issue, a harmless side issue. It was actually the source of his relational problems. And when he realized that and he addressed his porn issue, his relational radar was reawakened. He was able to truly connect with his wife's heart and he actually wanted to. He actually wanted to. I found similar testimonies online a website called Your Brain on Porn, which is not a Christian website, but I, just a number of testimonies there of single people, as well, men and women, single people, who describe how porn use caused them to withdraw 
from just hanging out with people, withdraw from relationships, withdraw from the things that actually used to bring them life and joy. But they lost their motivation. See, what, what God offers us is his life, a joy and contentment, a relational wholeness and, and connection. Porn removes us from that. It actually removes us from that. This is exactly what Paul's describing here when he says, verse 19, having lost all sensitivity. That is a scary phrase. When you think about in the realm of formation, having lost all sensitivity. In other words, we start to lose our capacity to feel. We lose our motivation to love. See, porn is not about love. It's about lust. That's what makes it so appealing. We don't have to do anything. It's all about us, right? But what we fail to realize is that the more we pursue lust, the less capable we are of genuine love. The more we pursue lust, the less capable we are of genuine love, of real intimacy, because love takes work. Love takes work. It involves focusing on giving, not taking Right? It involves opening our hearts and our lives to be known, which is, which is what we all ultimately long for. I mean, social scientists, you can read this stuff. It's all over the place. Social scientists are acknowledging that an increasing number of people, after a sexual hookup, feel empty and depressed. Why? Because what their soul longs for is intimacy. To be loved, to be known. See, God created sex to be more than just removing our clothing. Anyone can get naked. God created sex to be an opportunity for soul nakedness, which is why covenantal love is the perfect environment for that kind of vulnerability, where genuine intimacy can happen with our hearts being known and cherished by another person. See, all, all porn or a hookup provide is physical release, after which our soul still craves intimacy to experience acceptance and love. And so guess what we do? We keep going back for more. More hookups, more porn, thinking that the physical pleasure of orgasm will satisfy, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Which leads us to the third part of our inner world that is impacted, and that's our desires. Okay, notice the progression Paul's describing here. Our minds are darkened, and then our hearts become calloused, our hearts become hardened, resulting in our desires taking control of our lives. Look at this, verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, again, that's this heart thing. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. These words are so frightening to me and yet so vividly describe what's happening today. This phrase, have given themselves over, is a phrase used to talk about someone surrendering themselves to prison. I am giving myself over. In other words, I am just surrendering myself to prison. It's this idea of freely choosing to give up control of our lives. And in this case, what we're surrendering to is our own insatiable desires our lust, our cravings that are never satisfied. Neuroscience has revealed, you can check this out too, so much has been happening in study of the brain recently. Neuroscience reveals that in the, in the case of pornography, 
our brains literally get addicted to the pleasure, but we need a bigger dopamine release the next time in our brain, a bigger dopamine release to get the same level of high we had before. It's this law of diminishing returns. And this is why on porn websites, people often, people often end up progressing from watching typical sexual experiences to those that are increasingly violent, incestuous, abusive, disgusting. I'm not saying this stuff because I like talking about this. I don't. I'm saying it because we need to realize how our sexual desires are shaping us. Parents, listen up. The average age for exposure to porn is 8 to 11 years old. The largest demographic for porn use is young people between the ages of 12 and 17. That's the largest demographic for porn use. And that's the age pornographers are targeting, 12 to 17. And what this means, what this means is that most young people today are learning about sex from porn. Think about that. Porn is all about lust, using other people to satisfy our needs. It's focused on technique. So what's happening is that more and more people feel pressured to perform things that their lover or spouse saw in some porn video, things that make them uncomfortable or physically painful, but they feel coerced because that's what their lover expects. That isn't love. That is not love. We have taken a beautiful thing God created for self-giving expression and we have turned it into a self-centered experience and it is doing untold damage to our relationships. So what's happening, I mean, there's all sorts of uh, ways this is going, but one, one, one thing is happening. Some Christian young people today, they think that pornography is a way to stay pure until marriage. So they're using pornography as a way to not have sex. What they don't realize is that their porn use is actually distorting their ex expectations and diminishing their understanding of what love actually looks like. It is heartbreaking how all of these things are shaping us as people. The supposedly harmless sexual activity our society promotes, those things actually cause untold emotional, physical, and spiritual harm. Honestly, I mean, you hear this all the time. Oh, this is, this is harmless fun. Sexual freedoms is harmless fun. Let everyone do what they want to do, you know, all this stuff. Honestly, who hasn't been directly or indirectly hurt by this worldly pursuit of sexual freedom? Who in this room hasn't been hurt by this worldly pursuit of sexual freedoms? This idea doesn't hurt anyone. <laughs> it's such a lie, and we all know it. It is so ironic that the sexual freedom our society so actively promotes and embraces actually leads to the opposite, where we voluntarily choose to surrender our freedom we lose our capacity to love and we're robbed of our experience of real life, which is what God offers us.
So let's look at that path. It's a lot better, okay? Uh, so let's look at that path. It's what I would call Jesus' approach to sexual freedom. So Paul transitions from this vivid description of the pathway, that pathway, to a completely different pathway. Um, uh, verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. See, Jesus offers us a different way of living in every area of our lives, including our sexuality. And, and, and it involves aligning our lives with his truth. Right? That's what he's talking about here. Aligning our lives with his truth. So when we choose to align our sexual lives with Jesus' truth, we become, again, it's formation, we actually become very different than what was, just, become a person very different than what was described in the, in the previous verses that we just looked at. We become something very different. Check out verse 24. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what we become. That's what God desires for us, to actually become like him, to walk in newness of life, to experience soul wholeness and freedom rather than the soul damage and the bondage of this other pathway. Okay, so, so how do we walk in this? Well, Paul tells us, he gives us three specific action steps. First of all, put off your old self. Put off your old self. Paul says in verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desire. See, even though we, we've been saved, even though we've been saved, we're new creation, all that stuff, all of us still have this old self hanging around. We all have the old self hanging around, this self-absorbed part of us that wants to follow the deceitful desires of the world and to fall back into our old way of living. We all have that guy. He's around. He or she's around or whatever, okay? And so Paul says, put off that old self. He doesn't say dialogue with it. He doesn't say hang around with it. He doesn't say tolerate it and have conversations with it. No, he says, he doesn't say, let it be a part of your life. No, no, no. He says, put it off. Put it off. The language he uses here was language used in that day to just to talk about clothing, right? Just you put on, take off. He's talking about a piece of clothing. So just to, in an, an illustration here, imagine you have a friend who's in prison and he gets out of prison. And so you go to the prison to pick him up, right? He's been wearing, and he comes out in this orange jumpsuit, and he's been wearing this orange jumpsuit for years. And so you take him home, and you show him this closet of all these new clothes that you bought for him, right? So the next day, you come back to see him, and he's wearing the orange jumpsuit. And you're like, why are you wearing that? He says, it's comfortable. I'm used to it. What would you say to him? You'd say, put off that orange jumpsuit. That's not who you are anymore. That's the old you. You are free. And you don't look good in orange anyway, okay? Maybe you'd say that, I don't know. But, but Paul says to us, put off the old self. See, th this, this requires an intentional action on our part. Removing things from our lives that are part of and feed our old self. So to get really personal here, for me personally, this means I have a filter on my phone and my computer and my wife has the password. Honestly, it's kind of embarrassing to admit 
It's kind of embarrassing to admit, but I would rather have a filter on those devices than live the life I've lived in the past, feeding my old self and living in bondage to porn. I, I know how my old self works. If porn was accessible to me, I would give in again. I know that about me. So I have to intentionally choose to put off my old self to try and remove it, to remove it any way I can from its influence upon me. I don't know, for you, I don't know what putting off specifically means for you. It could be a relationship that you need to break off. It's going a direction you know it shouldn't be, a relationship you need to break off. It could be a contact you need to block or delete. It could be a secret photo app that you need to remove from your phone. It could be a living arrangement you need to get out of or a work situation you need to change. It could mean putting a filter on your devices with someone else having the password. And parents putting a filter on your children's devices. Parents, your role in protecting your children is huge. In this society, I don't think we've ever had the access we have to the things we have. Your role in protecting your children is huge. As I mentioned earlier, the average age, the target age of pornographers is 12 to 17 when our kids are in our home. Um, what are you doing to protect your children? Are you utilizing the parental control features on Comcast, on Netflix? Are you, are you filtering the content of the various devices that they have access to? <clears throat> By the way, sort of a side note here, but it practical, it, I would... Highly encourage, if you're looking for a filter, I would highly encourage Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes as a filter to use for yourself, your family. It costs about the price of Netflix, and you can put like five devices on it, and it's worth it. In fact, recently, they've changed their technology to keep up with this whole thing. So that now, rather than trying to block all the websites, which typical filters try to do, and there's always a way around it, your kids can figure out ways around it, rather than doing that, they now take a picture every minute of whatever is on your device's screen. And that's what gets sent to the accountability partner. So there is no longer a way to get around the filter. It's, it's, it's powerful. It's called covenant eyes. There are others as well, but that's one that I have found really helpful. And, and also, parents, be sure and talk to your kids about why you're putting a filter on their phone, why you have the password, why you're getting reports. You need to get reports. If it's just a filter, they're going to figure out a way around it. You, 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 you get, get the reports that are emailed to you or whatever. Be upfront and honest. This is way better than sneaking around trying to look at their texts or whatever, all right? This is not a secret. You can talk to your kids about why it's important, the things that we're talking about here, and why your love is, is um, moving you to protect them, to help protect them. So here's the question, this first action step. Here's the question we need to be asking Jesus. Jesus, what do you want me to put off so that I can walk in the pathway you have for me? What specific thing are you wanting me or am I needing to put off so that I can walk in the pathway you have for me? Again, we need Jesus to speak to us because every one of us has a different, a different probably issue going on, thing going on. Second action step, renew your mind. 
Renew your mind. Look at what Paul says in verse 23. To be, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Now, we saw earlier that the other path, remember, it started with, it started with our minds as well. Futile thinking, which, which, you know, buying into all the lies that our society is telling us about our sexuality, all that stuff. So it's no surprise that Jesus' pathway involves renewing our minds. In other words, replacing our old ways of thinking with Jesus' ways of thinking, replacing the lies that we've believed with his truth. I mean, often our sexual immorality is rooted in our own shame. And that's how that Satan works, right? We feel, you know, ashamed about what we're doing, and that drives us back to the behavior. It's just so complicated, but it's so often rooted in our own shame. It's a way to escape our feelings of, that we don't accept ourselves, you know, we don't like ourselves, don't feel like God loves, all that stuff. It's just this massive, blech. okay, and it feeds this stuff. And as we talked about in our wholehearted series last fall, um, that teaching series, what we need to do is replace those thoughts of shame with the truth of who we are in Christ. We, we need to think God's thoughts about ourselves, right? I can't afford to have in my mind any thought about me that God doesn't have about me. That was one of the quotes we talked about in that series. We need to think God's thoughts about ourselves, and that means renewing our minds because we have all sorts of other thoughts about ourselves, we need to develop new thinking patterns and filling our minds with God's truth. So one of the cool things about smartphones and, and the internet is the amount of access we have to resources that can help us think about God throughout our day, right? Worship songs and Bible apps and the podcast, all that stuff. There is no lack for resources that can help us renew our minds, but it will not happen automatically. See, here's the question. What are we doing throughout our day? What are we doing throughout our week to renew our minds? Because it won't happen automatically. What are we doing to choose to fill our minds with Jesus and his truth? Again, I don't know what that looks like for you, but I do know you're the only one who can do this for yourself. No one is going to do this for you. You're the only one. No one else is going to decide this for you. You and I have to choose it. We have to build it into our lives. I mean, think about a typical day, how much time where we're just on autopilot, Right? We're just driving around, whatever it is. We have all these moments throughout our day where we could actually be renewing our mind. Even at the end of the day, rather than watching the sitcom that we've already seen four times and we're watching the same episode we've seen four times so that we can go to sleep, what, what, what are we using that opportunity to fill our minds with the truth of God's word? So again, it's this intentionality the intentionality, utilizing these moments we have in our day to renew our minds. We've got to just re, in a sense, reprogram our thinking. And we're the ones that have the power to do that. The third action step, put on the new self. Put on the new self, right? Verse 24, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Just as we intentionally take off the orange jumpsuit, um, then we must continually choose to put on our new self. This is about choosing life. This is about choosing activities that encourage and stir the life of God in us. Things like coming to church, there's something life-giving about being with God's people regularly, coming to church, right? This is about prayer and worship, our own prayer and worship times. It's about regularly letting God speak to us from his word. It's maybe about being in community with others, being in community with others. 
Again, parents, let me just ask, do, do your middle school and high school students have a community like our amazing youth ministry with leaders and peers surrounding them and supporting them, Christ-centered people that they can talk to about their struggles? Are you encouraging them and maybe even requiring them to go because you know the benefit? I get the tension as a parent oh, I don't want them to do something they don't want to do, and then they'll hate God the rest of their life. But you know, there, again, I'm not saying yes or no on this. I'm just saying there are all sorts of things as parents we require our kids to do. Practice piano, go to dance, get when they don't want to. So I just want to throw that out there just to think about parents. Okay. Uh, some of us in this putting on thing, some of us need prayer to receive inner healing from some of the pain in our past so that we can hear God speak afresh to our hearts. We can hear him speak truth. So if that, if that connects with you, I encourage you to check out our Hope Abounds prayer ministry. See, Paul's point is that we need to be intentional. We need to be intentionally choosing to put on things that represent our true self, who we are created to be in Christ. Now, I know I know, I want to say something for those of you who are single here, because I know sometimes when we're single and we hear a message like this, we're thinking, oh, that's really easy for him to say. He's married. Um, what about, you know, my sexual desires as a single person? What am I supposed to do with those um, when I have no biblical outlet for that? Now, I'm, I'm not, in, in answer to that question, I'm not going to offer some simplistic answer to that question, but I do think, I do think there's an important question for you to ask yourself in that situation, here's the question. How are my sexual desires shaping me? Your sexual desires can easily point you towards the world's pathway, but they can also point you to Jesus, to lean more fully upon him, to bring to him your unmet longings, to experience intimacy with him and develop an inner strength of character. I mean, is this difficult to learn? Absolutely. I'm not saying it's easy. Absolutely. It is worlds apart from the instant gratification you can get from going the other way. But it's also worlds apart from the shame and the guilt and the unfulfillment and the bondage that those things lead to. The path that I'm talking about here, it's the same for singles or marrieds. Put off the old self. Renew your mind. And then actively put on the new self. Engage in those things that stir the life of God in you. Let him use your sexual desires to draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. Because ultimately, that's what our sexual desires are pointing to. The world has, you know, points of sex, sex, self-fulfillment or whatever. No, God's perspective. Our sexual desires are actually a signpost. They point to something. They are not an end in themselves. They point to something. They are a reflection of our longing for and our experience of union with God, being completely accepted and loved in him. Let's pray. Man, I know this kind of topic, it is stirring all sorts of things in our hearts, Lord. And we need you right now. We need more than just information here. We need you to meet us.
right here, right here. Each one of us. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. And as we do that, I just want to say most all of us here have areas of sexual brokenness, failures that are a part of our experience. And there is good news. Jesus' blood cleanses us from all of our sin. Jesus forgives us. You don't have to carry the shame. You don't have to carry the guilt of failures in this area or any area. As we were praying, talking about this message with our team and praying about this prayer time, the passage that came to our minds was John 8 where the woman is caught in adultery, right? And she's drugged before Jesus, failure, right? She's failed sexually, so has her partner, but he's nowhere to be seen. It's another story, but um, another part of the story here. But she's brought before him carrying shame and guilt. And remember what Jesus said to her? Neither do I condemn you. He forgives. And so I just want to stop here and give a moment. And you can do this later too if your list is long or whatever. But I just want us to step into the forgiveness Jesus offers. That's, what it, that's how he sees you and me with whatever our brokenness, our, our sin is, is in this area. Neither do I condemn you, he says. He offers you forgiveness. He offers me forgiveness. So let's just take a moment in the quiet of your heart. Confess any sexual sin that's coming to mind. Any ways where you have gone off the path that you know God has for you. Would you confess that to him and receive his cleansing? Receive his forgiveness. As you do that, I want you to, if you can, just sort of imagine yourself in that scene. And can you see, imagine Jesus looking at you face to face. He looks you right in the eyes and he says, neither do I condemn you. Because that's what he says to you. So the second thing that Jesus says to her, you may remember, is if you're familiar with this passage, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. In other words, put off your old self. Renew your mind. Put on the new self. Walk this out in the newness of life that I've provided for you. So I want you to just think about that, Jesus saying that to you. And let's just ask him, what specifically does this mean for us, Lord? We're just going to wait on him again. Jesus, what is it that you want us to put off? Is there something you want us to put off, a step or steps you want us to take so that we can pursue your purposes? Would you bring that to our mind right now? I pray for the courage to do it now, Lord. 
for, for all of us here, whatever you're saying to us, we have the courage to put off our old self. Secondly, renew our mind. Lord, what is it you, you are saying to us about renewing our mind and being intentional about this? Help us, help us. Seize these moments we have throughout the day where our brains are on autopilot or where, where we can intentionally renew our minds. And then I pray, Lord, as well, this third area, this putting on this new self, created to be like you. This is who we are. This is, our, this is who you've created us to be. I pray, Lord, for all of us, we would choose life. We would choose those things that actually stir the life of God in us. And so I just want to pray for this life, Lord, and, and we are all, none of us are perfect, and this is probably a regular thing, this confession and then consecration, just living in this place, continually coming to the cross to confess and also to consecrate ourselves, to dust ourselves off after a failure and to move forward all you have for, all you have for us. So God, help us walk this out because of the cross, because of the cross. And I thank you for this opportunity we have right now as a part of our worship to experience the Lord's Supper. Jesus, thank you that this bread represents your body given for us. The blood, the, the juice represents your blood shed for us, this complete cleansing that is ours. And so I want to pray, Lord, for all of us as we partake, once the worship starts, as we partake, we come to a table, we partake of the bread and the juice there. Lord, I, I want to pray that as we're doing that, this would be a place of confession and cleansing and also a place of consecration. Jesus, I'm yours. I give you myself, I give you my heart, my mind, my body because of your love poured out for me on the cross. Thank you, Lord. And so I want to just encourage you we're gonna, the music's going to start. Worship's going to start in just a moment. We have several minutes here just to enjoy the presence of the Lord. And, and when your heart is ready, you can come to a table. They're up front or they're at the back. You can come to a table and partake of the bread and the juice. You can take it right there. You can take it back to your seat. But let's make this a time of cleansing and a time of consecration because Jesus is such an amazing Savior. You are, you are not too far gone. You have not failed so much that he can't forgive you. His forgiveness is available to all of us. His cleansing is available to all of us. So Jesus, we love you. Set us free to worship you. And we ask you to cleanse us and we consecrate ourselves to you. We offer ourselves to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So why, why don't we stand? You can sit at any point. You can kneel around the room. But let's begin standing here. And again, as you feel led, come to a table. And let's worship this amazing Savior. We love you.